So last election cycle, we had a giant surprise of a supposed red wave turning into a what I've heard called a red trickle. And so, uh, Dan, we're going to talk about this uh, surprise. What do you think it means for the, the political landscape? And what does that mean for Christians who are politically motivated and politically involved? How do we interpret these, uh, these most recent results? And what does it mean for our nation? Well, you know I kind of like politics. <clears throat> politics is Dan's hobby. It's my hobby. <laughs> I'm very ashamed. No, I mean, and so I'm in Colorado where we don't even have good internet access. We hadn't, I didn't have phone coverage. So you're telling me that you, you have, you, they have more pot than, than the internet over in, that, in Colorado? pot. <laughs> I mean, I was so desperate to try to get election results. I went into town. I went to a bar. Not to drink, but to try to find, and I couldn't even. They didn't even have them on there. It's so far out You're in Colorado, they don't do politics, I guess. But no, so I finally came back, found an internet that was consistent enough I could get some dial-up speed. Could, yeah, <laughs> but no, <clears throat> it, it it was surprising to me, and I always swear I won't believe the polls because the polls are so notoriously wrong. But you find yourself getting sucked into it a bit. Yeah. Um, I quit trying to prog- uh, prog- prognosticate years ago because I. I used to be really good at it. Now I'm really, really bad at it. And this would have been another evidence of it. But I think there's some lessons that we should draw. And then I think there's some questions we need to ask ourselves, which is mm-hmm. kind of why I wanted us to do this episode. You know, the, the bottom line is we are a deeply divided country. We're yeah. divided in multiple ways. Uh, uh, we're, we're divided racially. We're divided socioeconomically. We're divided uh, educationally. Um, we're divided gen- in terms of gender. Uh, so there were some pretty clear distinctions in some of those. We're also uh, – uh, divided geographically, um, mm-hmm. as, as has been the case. But um, for the most part of our country, if you live in a city, you're going to vote blue. If you live in a, uh, a rural suburban, somewhat suburban, uh, but rural area, you're going to vote red. There are two Americas. You can drive across the country and see that. Mm-hmm. The big blue dots are the are usually the largest cities in the capital cities and the cities in which um, major educational institutions mm-hmm. reside. Yeah. So those tend to be very, very liberal. Um, you know, you see that big map that has all of the red and just these little blue dots everywhere, and they say all of America really is more conservative. You know, empty land doesn't vote, <laughs> so you have to look at ones where the population right. is, and that's right. uh, and, and the bottom line is we're very closely divided. We are a fifty-fifty nation, mm-hmm. and uh, because we are a majority rule nation with only two major parties, um, you know, it doesn't matter whether you win by one tenth of one percent or twenty percent. Your power is, you know, the majority yeah. lies in the majority. Yeah. So <clears throat> what was expected to be historically for, for a lot of people was supposed to be a red wave really was not. Mm. Uh, in fact, I would say it was a, a red spanking. Um, you in, in off-year elections, you anticipate the party that is, does not have the White House makes significant gains. And that's true almost 80 percent of the time. It's mm-hmm. rare that it didn't. Mm-hmm. This time it was at best, I think – I mean the Republicans are barely going to win a majority in the House. It looks like maybe by two or three seats. Um, but – you know, when you have 435 members and many of them are older, uh, that could go away because, mm. I mean, one or two people die a year in Congress. Uh, that's not unusual. Mm. We had a, a conservative woman from Indiana just get killed uh, during the election. Mm. Um, so th- these things happen. And when you have a margin that tight, 
Um, and the other thing is when you have a margin that tight, it's still hard to get legislation across the finish line because you've always got renegades, mm-hmm. particularly in the Republican Party. The uh, Republican Party is actually broader in many ways and certainly has less discipline than the Democrat Party. So it's going to be tough to govern at all um, in the House of Representatives. The Senate is at least going to be 50-50, which is status quo. There's a, probably a likely chance a fairly good chance that it's going to be 5149, mm-hmm. which will be interesting. With the Republicans leading the House, uh, there'll be less pressure on the Senate to get rid of the filibuster um, or to try to do something like pack the Supreme Court, um, but uh, because it's just not going to be possible with the House being in Republican hands. Uh, but at some point, if we see the the Senate being firmly in Democrat hands and the House, you could expect those two things to at least the filibuster issue to go away, which will not be healthy for the country. And I would say that if the Republicans were thinking it as well. But um, I think a couple of other things we we need to consider is this, that abortion is a bigger deal than we gave it credit for. Mm. And I have two rants on that. Number one is uh, in our country, young women are angry angry, particularly young white college-aged women are Mm. very angry. Why is that? Um, I don't really know. Uh, It'd be arrogant, I think, of me to try to give a lot of theories other than I will say that the American uh, indoctrination system, I mean educational system, is doing a a, a delightful job of turning out left-wing female college graduates. Mm. Um, But I would also say that um, uh, on the other side of it, the the national right to life organizations have coasted ever since Dobbs. Not coasted, they've disappeared. During this election, there was no defense of of a right to life position anywhere nationally. Hmm. Uh, Individual candidates were left to hang out to dry. Um, And and the fact is, this would have been a time for the national right to life organization to have been out defending life, to show what abortion was really about, to defend the unborn. And they were absolutely AWOL. And it's very frustrating to me because the the press, the media, the activists, uh, the argument was all controlled on those who believe that abortion is morally acceptable. And um, and in doing so, we got taken to the cleaners. We got spanked severely. And uh, when when you've got a state like Montana who has who has has a Democrat senator, but he's probably not going to get reelected next time. That is about as Republican a state as you're going to find. And by a 51-49 majority, they voted that you cannot even intervene in the life of a baby that was accidentally born born during an abortion and which is of a survivable state. Um, you can't even intervene. You got to let them die in the in the pe- in the metal pan that they place mm. the body in. There's something broken in in our defense of life if we're not making a case that that is anything less than infanticide. So mm. that that was a frustrating thing. Um, I, I think also when you look at what happened in Florida with Ron DeSantis. Um, the emergence of DeSantis as a viable national candidate is without question at this point. And that's really going to turn the next election into something interesting. Um, when we're recording this as uh, a Wednesday last night, Donald Trump announced that he's running for president. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I wanted to emphasize in kind of a post-election analysis was that this is going to be a call to reckoning for evangelicals. Hmm. Um, I've made no secret Anybody knows me well knows I am not a Trump fan. Never <laughs> really? have, never really? have been. I've never heard that you know, before. I've lost friends for <laughs> of, of, of decades because uh, I'm not a Trump fan and, and refuse to vote for him and, and different things. Um, 
<clears throat> I do not believe him to be a conservative. I believe him to be a pragmatic populist who is a narcissistic egotist. And as, as a result, I just don't trust him. And I will give credit that you know, he surrounded himself with conservative people. They got a lot of good things accomplished that I agreed with. I particularly agreed with what they did in the court system. Uh, however, that had very little to do with Donald Trump. It had a lot to do with Mitch McConnell. Um, <clears throat> but in, in the end, I believe there's now a day of reckoning where the evangelical movement that has largely aligned itself first with the Republicans. By the way, I'm registered independent. I, I'm neither Republican or Democrat, but obviously my values probably are more Republican than Democrat simply because I'm so pro-life. Um, but the, they have aligned themselves, first of all, with the Republican Party, but secondly, very heavily with Donald Trump, much to my chagrin, very much hmm. with Donald Trump. Now, the argument that they've made is when given a choice between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, between someone who is at least verbally pro-life versus someone who is adamantly pro-abortion um, and all the other things, uh, the LGBTQT, the woke culture, the uh, CRT, the all the other things that divide the two parties, it is easy for us to align ourselves with someone who is morally flawed but politically more in tune with evangelical Christian values. But now, as we enter into another election cycle, that is not the case. Hmm. So the question is, will evangelicals, the 40% of the GOP that identifies themselves as, as, as uh, evangelical um, Republicans, will they now continue to support a morally flawed candidate who used to be president and who has at arguably best a personality cult that surrounds him, <laughs> largely led by many prominent evangelicals. Yeah. Um, will they continue to follow him? Or will they then say, we have discernment and character and morality does matter, and will they choose a different candidate to support, at least in the primaries mm -hmm. leading up to the next general election? Will they get behind a, a, a Catholic like DeSantis? Will they get behind an evangelical like Ted Cruz? Or um, will they get behind someone like a Tim Scott or a Nikki Haley from mm -hmm. South Carolina? Um, or will they continue to march faithfully in loyalty to someone who is morally reprehensible, mm -hmm. um, who, who really has some of the worst character we've ever observed in a chief executive of the nation, um, and continue to blindly support him? It'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. Mm. So you said a lot there. Uh, 11 minutes, <laughs> 11 minutes of diatribe. Dan had a lot on his chest today that he wanted to get off. And but I feel so much better. <laughs> um, how do you think as Christians right now, I want to, I want to, I want to revisit the, the Trump thing, but first I want to ask you just as a Christian, when you saw the, there's a way to look at this politically, <laughs> right? But there's also a way, a lens of, okay, seeing God sovereign. I mean, you preached a great sermon on on uh, Daniel chapter 8. I know I've preached something very similar in Daniel chapter 7. Like, there's this idea that God is ruling and reigning, <laughs> right? That he's sovereign, he's in control. What does it make you think, what does it make you question about what God is doing in our nation when you see what happens is there is there is there a spiritual lens to see these kinds of things? What does it mean for the church? Yeah, I, I believe this. I believe the American church needs to brace itself, mm -hmm. um, and 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 I believe there's coming a time of purification for the church uh, that will take the form of of at least um, some level of persecution 
Um, but before persecution would come opposition, opposition mm-hmm. that could lead to persecution. Yeah. I don't know that it'll necessarily be in my lifetime, um, but I do think, you know, the pendulums tend to swing. And, I, I, you know, right now it hasn't been swinging and that's very surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think a large part of that is because Trump was such an overpowering force in the nation, creates such strong emotion, both pro and con, that it is kind of disrupted. I mean, he is, you know, in leadership, there are disruptive leaders that just Mm kind of come in and break everything and then you rebuild it. He's very definitely a disruptor. But eventually you don't, disruptors are bad governors, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I don't think he's, I I don't think he's reelectable, first of all. And I think that his days are numbered, first of all, because the man's 80, almost 80 years old. But what emerges out of the Republican Party as in terms of leader, and also out of the Democrat Party, uh, because again, Biden's 80 years old. Mm-hmm. So assuming he does run for re-election, even if he gets re-elected in four, six years, there's going to be a new leader of the Republican Party, or Democratic Party, and the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. That's when things will really clarify as to the you know next generation of leadership. Yeah, and we're so closely divided. I don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah, but because. Conservative people tend to be older and liberal people tend to be conservative. I would say it's more likely to go liberal. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, younger y- people younger, are more yeah. conservative or liberal. So I think it is more likely to go liberal. Um, and I think we're going to have to realize that our faith needs not to be supported by the fact of our government, but by our God. Yeah. You know, are you living your faith out because it's convenient and easy because we live in a free country and, you know, you know, an incredibly free system? Or do you really believe this stuff? Yeah. And I think that is a day of reckoning coming for us. And I think it's a question we ought to go ahead and wrestle through right now, because I think there's a lot of people who are practicing their faith in convenience instead of conviction. Yeah, I, I think there is something that, as I lo- as I watched the returns um, a few Tuesdays ago, man, I was shocked because everything that people were saying was red wave, red wave. It felt like there was this momentum, and then it was just like, what happened? It felt like what the what the Democrats went through in 2016 is what, <laughs> yes, is what so. Republicans went through <laughs> You know, six years later, like what just happened? We yeah. like, where did all these people come from? And it, and it, there, there's a lot of trying to figure it out. Um, and again, I haven't listened to a lot of pollsters. I haven't listened to a lot of analysis of what's going on. I just know what has happened. And the way I look at it, from what from I share a lot of your perspective. I think the thing also I see is there is so much uh, the. the the world in which we are are growing up in, I, I've said this before, doing this Babylon series, Thriving in Babylon, but we're not in Kansas anymore. Mm-mm. The things that, the, the Judeo-Christian ethics that we have, that traditionally have been central and promoted in our, in the American culture for 300 plus years, even before we were a nation, um, is, is, is eroding rapidly. The things that, we used to all think that everyone cared about. Now that that percentage is getting smaller and smaller and smaller in secular humanism, uh, the the woke uh, socialism or Marxism, whatever you want to call it, is is really becoming the new religion, and that's the way I see it. Is is th- this LGBTQ woke Marxism? It's now viewed as a religion in a way by many young people because there is this void of God in their life. And so they've supplanted it. So it's not just, we're not just talking political ideology. This is what I'm trying to say. We're not just talking about simply political ideology now. We're talking about two distinct religions that that are 
that are growing. One is shrinking and one is growing. And yeah. that's what we're dealing with right and, now. And something that's missing is you would anticipate in the transition period when, when a culture shifts that there is a period of apathy toward the former mm-hmm. and then it then it reaches more of a hostility. Mm-hmm. We have moved directly from an embracement past apathy to an antagonism. Yeah. There's an antagonism. Yes. You're haters. You're not just morally neutral. If yeah. you believe in biblical values, you're a hater. That's right. You're an enemy. You're a threat to democracy. You're a, I mean, the t- kind of rhetoric uh, coming out of that yeah. is, is a, quite stunning. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's something else that we need to throw a caution flag out on the field for both liberals and conservatives, and I understand I've got believing friends who are more politically liberal than me, but I think both of us, you know, we're, we're, the way the media is constructed right now, we tend to find ourselves in this communication vacuum where we only listen to people who share our values. So the people who were most shocked this year were people who get all their news from Fox News. (laughs) Because if you watch Fox News, everything was red wave. This is going to be huge. We're going to take out people that have been here for, you know, and and it didn't happen. But in 2016, if you remember watching the election results come in, over on CNN and MSNBC and the mainstream uh, uh, NBC, ABC, CBS, those people – they were absolutely shocked. The looks on their faces could not be denied yeah. because they listened to all their friends and the media is largely controlled by liberals. Yeah. I was listening to an interview yesterday about a guy who was watching the results come in as a conservative commentator at, I think it was NBC or CBS, and he said every time that a Democrat would win, everybody in the newsroom would applaud. It wasn't on camera. Nobody could hear it out in the real. But that shows a level of bias. And by the way, the same thing would have happened on, on the Republican sure, side yeah. in, in Fox News. But most of us tend to only listen listen to messages that are reinforcing that affirm, our, yeah. our, yeah. And I think that's dangerous. It's mm. one of the reasons why I sometimes listen to NPR, which I hate, but I listen to them. I yeah. want to know how the other side thinks yeah. because I have a responsibility to be able to communicate and listen to them. Yeah. And here is herein lies, I think, and this is something that you've really been good, Ben, with reminding me often, is we have a responsibility to know how people think who are not like us because we're supposed to be reaching them with the that's gospel. Right. Yeah, and you know, while I have strong political beliefs, they're not more important to me than my my spiritual beliefs. That's right. And when I can no longer communicate civilly and kindly to people who see things differently than me, then I've got a spiritual problem I need to address because my witness is far more important. It should be far more important. That's to me right. Than uh, my political stance. Hundred percent. And I think that's what really the challenge for us as as Christians moving forward is: we don't want people to view. The, the faith, the Christian faith through a political lens. And that's going to be a really hard thing to do moving forward in our nation, knowing that that so many evangelicals are are seen as almost identical to a Republican. Yeah. And so that those are things that that the, that's a that's an issue we're gonna to have to, to navigate. All right. So we've got two minutes left. What do you think? I mean, the whole Donald Trump thing is he's the elephant in the room, you know? No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, do you think, uh, as I, we know how you f- feel, you talk. There's no one that ha- doesn't have a a moderate view of Donald Trump. Right. You either love him or hate him. You love love him or hate him. Christians love him or hate him. Like right. like yeah. right. I mean, there's for the a, most part. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, what do you think uh, is going? I just want to hear from you. What do you think is going to happen? This is just pure Dan Here, Dan opinion. Right here's now. what I fear is going to happen. I fear that within the Republican base, 
that you will have him running against um, a mix of people running from DeSantis to Larry Hogan out of Maryland, right. who would be a, I would call him a liberal Republican, others yeah. would call him a moderate. But um, and, and so you're going to have 8, 10, 12 egos, and they're all got egos. <laughs> they wouldn't be running for president if they didn't, and Donald Trump. Well, Donald Trump, there, he's got 30, 40% of the overall population that would vote for him over Jesus. I, I honestly oh, I think. believe yeah. that too. There so, is true occult. So there. if that's 30 or 40% nationally, then probably he's got that, he's got 60, 70% Republicans. But assuming he only has got 50% of Republicans that are going to vote for him, mm-hmm. you take the 50% he gets and you divide the other 50% among 12 egos, and they're going to be getting 10, 12. You know, DeSantis may get 25 or 30%. Yeah. But if these guys stay in real long, then Trump is going to be your nominee. And I do not believe that Trump is capable of winning the general election or he'd be president today. Right. Here's my other concern. My other concern is let's say that a big a big something, you know, revelation comes and DeSantis wins mm-hmm. or Cruz wins or Scott or Haley or somebody yeah. wins and 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 uh, Trump doesn't. I do not believe that Trump has the character or a sense of 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 patriotism perhaps or state statesmanship that would say I'm going to get behind the winner. Yeah. I'm afraid what he I will agree. do is he'll do a Ross Perot thing yep. and he'll split the conservative vote and then the Repub- the not only will the Democrat go easily into the White House, but he's gonna he's gonna sweep a lot of others in and we're gonna have four years of of really powerful left wing leadership in this yeah. country. Yeah. Which I, in my political view, would not be good for the country. Right. Yeah. At the same time I want to say this. And this is what Daniel 7 and 8 that you and yeah, I just taught yeah. is if if that happens, that's God. And we got to accept that. We can't quit. We can't give up. We can't go run into a cave and hide. We have to occupy till Christ comes. And that's why, you know, while I love politics as a spectator sport, I don't let it depress me. I don't yeah. let it make me, you know, crawl in a hole and want to die. I don't obsess about it. I slept fine in the election night and will sleep <laughs> as fine as, it, you know, I do any night, I guess, yeah. in, in light of that, because we really must trust yeah. God. It's fun to have these kind of conversations because, you know, we, we don't talk about politics a lot. But when something like this happens, it is good to take a step back and think through it. And what are the ramifications of us as followers of Jesus? And, and you know— Listen, we're just we're just two guys that have opinions, and I'm sure there's a lot more opinions in our church. Uh, we're not infallible when it comes to politics, but I do think that um, there is something going on in our nation that that there's a shift taking place. And I believe, in order for there to be a shift in the right direction, it's going to have to come from the Spirit of God bringing a movement of revival. The and, most and, patriotic thing you and I yeah. will do is to find somebody who's far from God but close to us yeah. and share with them the journey of faith. Yeah, I mean, to see our nation change, it's it's not going to happen through voting. It's That's just right. not. not. So, all right, thank you so much for listening to this conversation about the most recent election. I hope it's encouraged you, maybe challenged you a little bit. And uh, as always, please share this with your friends, people that might be interested in these kinds of conversations. Thanks again for joining us at Life Talks. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well, so leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. 
For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit LifeCharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.